Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Jesus of Nazareth was given by guest speaker John Peters on April 3rd of 2011. Um, sorry about all that. Um, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for, um, for having us. Um, 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 I'm, going to, I'm going to be sort of umming and ahhing as I, as I try to work out what I think I should be saying. Um, first thing is, coming in from the outside, as somebody that's been involved in um, setting up a few new churches, this is a very functional church. This is a good thing. And uh, that, that's, that's wonderful, as far as I can see. You, know. um, you can feel the atmosphere as soon as you come in, in a church where things are a bit unhappy, and when they're happy, and this is happy, and happy church is the main point, as far as I can see. There are enough pains in life without having unhappy church. So if you don't mind, I'm going to say what I say to all the girls um, when I arrive in a church. And not just the girls, you know, it's an English expression, sorry, not in England, stop, stop. Okay, right, so basically I'm just going to say what I always say. <clears throat> First and most importantly, it's, it's critically important to love your leaders and to make sure that they have what they need materially and in terms of support. And um, so I'm going to address this particularly to the other uh, elders here, but um, I think you should make it your personal responsibility to see that the leaders of the church are okay. Because what they do is is, um, a hard gig. Obviously, lots of us also do other hard gigs in the world. Um, But if you want the thing to go well, it's important to make sure that your leaders are looked after and and that they know they're loved. I know because I, you know, hang out with church leaders. If they feel they're loved by their people, it just makes what they do a lot easier. And that actually means telling them you love them and showing them that you love them and having no embarrassment about doing that. And, and to be really honest, if you don't love them, you know, if they don't, if they don't um, spin your wheels and no leader spins everybody's wheels, no matter how hard they try, if you don't really love them, find another church. It's fun. Church is like, you know, breakfast cereals. You just find one you like. 
Uh, it doesn't really matter. But if, if you're not happy and you don't, and you don't really like them, because the church is often very shaped by the character of its leaders, you don't like the feel, find another one. It's perfectly okay. It doesn't matter. No one, no one will die if you do that. It's fine. Um, but if you're going to be here, love them. Make sure they have what they need. And, uh, and just you know, a word of advice from a church leader to people that go to a church. Just do something. Just do something. You don't have to do everything, but do something. Otherwise, you'll feel bad. You'll turn up, and you know, all these notices will roll off the front of the stage. Could you do this? Do you want to come and be a part of this? If you sit there and do nothing, um, you'll be unhappy. You'll be an unhappy hamster. And you don't want to be one of those. Remember, church is about happy. It's not about, you know, mindless depression or feeling crap when you come in. So basically, just do something. You know, so you don't have to go to the Easter celebration and bring your friends and go to the potluck lunch and, you know, um, helping kids' church. In fact, that's a little unhealthy. What, what you do need to do is do something. And there are amazing things to do in this church. I mean, the garden thing is an extraordinary story. Amazing story. Um, and there, there are so you know, the, the emphasis on discipleship, how to walk together, journey together, it's a very, very healthy thing. And lots of churches don't really do that. They do a big show on a Sunday, don't they? But they don't really know how to live life together. And this is a, definitely an experiment in how to do it um, in a much more authentic, uh, disciple-like way. So uh, I like the church. I'm really glad to be here. And sorry for saying my stuff. Um, but I'm English, so you know I know. So, um, uh, what else do you need to know? Uh, I, think, I think the best thing w- would be if I just remind you of the heart of what Jesus did and does, if that's all right. Um, what was Jesus doing until the age of 30? Not a lot. It's an intelligent question that all people will want an answer to. People have theorized that he was married to Mary Magdalene, that he was visiting India and inventing electricity. Not at the same time. But apart from the astonishing events surrounding his birth, to to be honest, it's the unremitting ordinariness of Jesus' life that stands out. And the ordinariness of Jesus is one of the reasons that those who knew him best were determined to kill him when he went back to Nazareth on a humdrum day in a nowhere village with dogs barking, children playing, and flies buzzing in the heat. People don't like it when somebody gets an ideas above their station. Um, in England, we have a, a thing that you don't necessarily have. It's called sport and um, I know, look, I know that. I've been, I've been watching that, you know, that physical chess game you play with the, the football thing, whatever. Um, so basically, um, so soccer, that's a real sport. And, and there was, there was a, there's this coach that turned up um, to coach one of our leading teams. And he proclaimed himself the special one. He was right. He was. Unbelievable. In fact, he's won everything everywhere he's ever gone. But he announced to the English press that he was the special one. And instantaneously, all right-thinking English people are wanting to see him fail. The son of a carpenter shouldn't act like a religious teacher. Let me read to you these familiar words from Luke chapter 4. Um, verse 16, when he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. He, took up, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Dr. Cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you did in Capernaum. 
And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And on and on. And he said some other things. And uh, basically, when they heard the other things, all in the synagogue, in verse 28, were filled with rage. They got up and they drove him out of the town and led him to the, the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Maybe there was something else behind that violence on that day. Maybe something that had been building up for years. Jesus may not have preached in the first 30 years. He may not have healed the sick in the first 30 years. But he did grow up and mature into manhood amongst them. And he always chose the right path. How many times had his refusal to say or do something stood out, calling into question what other people in Nazareth were saying or doing? The light shines in the darkness. But people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now, I imagine most people who knew him were both unaccountably attracted and repelled, drawn to the light of his wisdom and his goodness, but fearful of coming out of the darkness nevertheless. Jesus does not begin what, he, what is described by Luke as his work until he's filled with the Spirit. Um, and we read about that in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And um, then in the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, etc. And uh, everything kicks off in verse 14. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. And uh, Jesus doesn't ask anybody to do what he never did which is work for God. Jesus never worked for God. You ever found yourself working for God or being under pressure to work for God? Jesus never did that. The Holy Spirit is the indispensable necessity of the Christian life. I know that for some of us, the Holy Spirit has been a mysterious third bit of God that we don't really understand or hasn't really been discussed much in church, or there's a lot of caution or fear about the Holy Spirit. I don't have that experience at all. I was an atheist. I became a Christian. Um, the moment I became a Christian, as it happens, the power of the Spirit fell on me. It was the most ecstatic experience of my life. I didn't, you know, I was overwhelmed. I have a sort of... Um, you know, Romeo and Juliet style courtship thing with my wife that went on for about, I don't know, three or four years, which included vomiting whenever she was in the room. I mean, I am one of these people that does go up and down. And basically, so I do know what I'm talking about when I talk about feeling a deep, deep passion for a woman. But I can tell you the most ecstatic experience of my life lasted 40 seconds, and it was when the Spirit of God first filled me. And you know what? I did a terrible thing. I spoke in tongues straight away. Nobody told me about speaking in tongues. I could not stop this language coming out of my mouth. And then I did some other terrible things, like, for example, I just read the Bible all the time. I couldn't put the Bible down. I loved the Bible. And also, I couldn't stop praying, love praying. When I went to church, I cried through the whole thing. Nobody knew what to do with me. And basically, I could not stop crying. I, 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 I felt like I'd come home. It was a huge relief. And then I was taught by these weird Pentecostal people, and for, before very long I'd been healing the sick and casting out demons. But by the time I'd been a Christian for a year, I was definitely doing that. And um, uh, it was amazing, amazing to see the power of God. Now, I'm not a Pentecostal anymore. I don't really like the theology or the practice, though I deeply respect what is easily the biggest and most influential Christian movement in the world, and has been for a very long time now. So, you know... I'll go my way and they'll go God's sort of thing. Um, but basically, um, I do very much believe in the power of God still. I just like the thing to be to have a better theological foundation than it sometimes does, and I like it to be done in a better way. I heard some amazing American-style television evangelism this week. It was brilliant. There's a guy called Joseph Prince. It was a brilliant sermon. Brilliant. It had a brilliant ask for money at the end. Which was, no, 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 brilliant. It was like this. It was like, I would like to give you my teaching. Um, I can't do it for no money at all. Just send anything, and I'll send it to you. That's great. It lasted about 30 seconds. So obviously, these stereotypes can be completely subverted. That was brilliant. 
And then also there's a lot of crap, isn't there, which puts people off. Well, nothing has put me off. I've been a Christian for 20-something years. And I am in the game because again and 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 again, I see the power of God totally change people's lives and do amazing things. And you know what they remind me of? Things that Jesus did. And my time here has been, I've been just trying to encourage people to do this in as normal a way as they possibly can, but definitely to do it and not leave it as an undone thing in the church. You know, we talk about the Great Commission, but often we turn various bits of it into a great omission. You know, because what is the Great Commission really? You know, what did Jesus do? Your disciples, right? What's a disciple? A disciple is little Christ. What do disciples do? They do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Well, he prayed. He hung out with the disciples. He preached the gospel, healed the sick, and cast out demons. That's pretty much what he did. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. Did he do other things? Did he go to church symposiums? I don't think so. Did he do a lot of fishing? Probably not a lot of time. Um, but if you want to be like Jesus, then surely we're going to do what Jesus did, right? And that definitely does mean, you know, like the Easter thing, you know, preach the gospel, you know, that thing. Bring all your friends. It can be a nightmare, can't it? People, people hate what we believe sometimes. Not everybody does, but quite a few people do. In my country, they absolutely do. I, I am like, um, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm the new socially unacceptable. If I want to end a conversation, I only need to tell people I lead a church. They hate me. They think I'm homophobic. They think I'm um, bigoted, um, you know, ignorant, stupid person. Of course I am. No, um, no, I'm not, but Chris is. It's just good he's not speaking. Seriously. Getting off the point, stop distracting me. So basically, the Holy Spirit is the indispensable necessity of the Christian life. The person in whose dimension of life we experience God. That's what we've been considering this weekend together. The fuel for the journey. Jesus needed to be filled with the power of the Spirit to do the work God wanted him to do. And so do we. Otherwise, we're just playing a little religious game, which is of no interest to anyone. Can I say the most dangerous, uh, sick, and useless people in the world are religious Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the living God made real by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not a religion. Religion is a very, very bad thing. As the theologian Karl Barth said, religion is the height of our rebellion against God. And the problem is, church is full of religious people who are working for God if they're doing anything. Most of the time, they're just kind of sitting there. You know, they've done their hour in church. Chick! Off to do something else now. Bye! It means nothing. And they don't engage with the people of God or the worship of God. They don't engage with anything. They're just, for some reason, they're there, you know, and that's it. It's not what Jesus had in mind. He had in mind more of an army. You know, a number of us, it's more like a, like a cruise ship. You know, sand, flip-flops on, sand, what do you call them? Sandals, flip-flops, what do you call them? Things you wear on your feet. Okay, that's nice. Now we're connecting. Um, <laughs> so basically, whatever you wear, you know, you, you, it's your suntan lotion, you know, your loafers, your shorts. We're all, you know, ready to lie down by the pool get on the nice pleasure cruise, it's a warship. It's a warship. And if you start doing this stuff, it will definitely become one if it's not already. But you've got to do that. That's what you signed up for. It's a nightmare. What Jesus wants is cooperation with us. He doesn't want us to do things for him. Instead of him, he wants us to cooperate with him. Ideally, involving as little of our strength, ingenuity, etc., as possible. A cooperation with the Spirit to fulfill what the Father is already doing. In other words, in this city, God is already doing things. Some of the things he's already doing are through you. Some are through other churches, etc. Be absolutely confident that God is already doing things. Our job is to work out what they are and to go with him when he's doing them. If you're going down a jungle path, which I know doesn't happen very often in California, but if you're going down a jungle path and you come face to face with a huge honking elephant, what which is easier to do, turn around and go the same direction as the elephant or somehow try and push past it? You're going to turn around and go the same way, right? So the object of the game is to find out what God is doing and get involved. Jesus said that he only did what he saw his father doing. In other words, Jesus did not act on his own initiative. He did what his father was doing. Now, what makes us think it's going to be any different for us? Right? We're trying to follow him. He did that. How did he do it? He did it by being filled with the Spirit and following what the Holy Spirit showed him to do. For example, how did Jesus know which people to have as disciples? 
How did he know? He was up all night praying. He turns up in, you know, in the sort of fishing community to get his Starbucks. And basically, there he is, walking around in the cool light of day, and he sees some fishermen. And as he looks at them, the Holy Spirit says to him, they will be fishers of men. And he goes, okay, they're them then. Let's have them. And then he sees Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. And it says in the Bible that actually a person blessed by God has his own fig tree. And so he sees Nathaniel under a fig tree and he says to him, there is a genuine Israelite, because he knows that from the Old Testament. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Well, it wasn't a great revelation, but basically that's enough for Nathaniel to come and follow him. He looks at this guy, the Spirit says him, and he chooses him. Do you do that? Are you engaged with that? Can I, in some way, bring you alive to more of that? More of following what the Holy Spirit is already showing you. You know, so I, I definitely think of myself as a charismatic first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, right? If you want to know about labels. Um, but the thing is, we're all charismatics. All of us are. You all experience the promptings of God, the direction of God. The thing is, I just talk about it. In my church, it's kind of okay. And there are lots of things wrong with my church, by the way. My church in London and my general church, lots of terrible things. But the fact is, at least we kind of know what we're trying to do in this area. We're trying to follow the direction of the Spirit, therefore fulfilling the purposes of God. Shall I tell you how I planted a church in New Zealand? I never planted a church in my life. I did a massive building project, raising about three million and reordering this ridiculous building. This is my kind of building. I love this building. This is exactly where church should be. I'm stuck in a stupid traditional Anglican building. At least it's got no pews or choir stores. It's just a big box with another box downstairs. It's been made in my own image. But the thing is, it's still a stupid, you know, stu- and it's called St. Mary's. Do you want to come to St. Mary's? <laughs> the garden. Do you want to come to the garden? It's much better. Much better. I think the club might be quite good. (laughs) The gig. The gathering. Whatever. Um, The book club. I I could go on. I'm stopping now. So this is the the way I did it. It's amazingly technical. I I did no research whatsoever. Um, and I had a day of prayer and fasting um, because I felt like I needed to refocus having done the whole building project thing. I was absolutely knackered. And uh, on that day, um, the passages in my readings from the Bible were about the story of Abraham. And as it happens, God has spoken to me a few times through the story of Abraham. So I was paying attention. And I saw this verse which said, I'll make your name great and make you a blessing to the nations. At which point I sort of had this impression in my mind of all kinds of people groups, churches, some places where there was no church, some places where there was already a church. And I felt God say to me, um, I'd like to plant a church in New Zealand. So um, that was it, really. And then I talked to this guy. I, I, I wanted to tell a few people because it was quite a dramatic experience. I mean, I didn't, that virtually never happens to me, something like that. I'm not going to say it was a vision. It was just a kind of a strong impression in my mind. But I thought it was God um, because I've, you know, I've heard him speak before. Um, or sensed him speak before or whatever. Anyway, so um, I, I had a chat with a few people. One of them was this guy I was leading a church with called Mike. He was halfway through his training. So, you know, rather like, you know, Darren and Alex, you know, not really knowing which end is up in some ways, just starting. And uh, basically, in fact, less experienced than these guys. And uh, he, I said, you know, would you, would you have any interest, do you think, in ever planting a church in New Zealand? And he said, well, you know, my wife and I, we've just got married, but we do actually quite fancy going and doing something abroad. We think we might do that. I'm thinking, good. We'll revisit this question in a few years. That Sunday, this guy turns up uh, from New Zealand, and he's Mr. Fix-It for starting new churches in New Zealand. And before I know it, three months later, we've been given the largest building in the center of Auckland. It is now the largest church in New Zealand. That's like, fi- that's like five years later. When they have their carol services, they have to fill, and this is another sport, they have to fill a rugby stadium, the city rugby stadium, with 10,000 people. Otherwise, they can't get them in. What about that? That's, that's five years. How cool am I? <laughs> I'm, I'm very cool. Now, what normal people do is they read about church planting, and they, you know, they research the whole thing, and, you know, and, but it was because God was doing it. You see, you see if God is doing it, it's not complicated. The object of the game for us is to work out what he's doing. Now imagine you grew up in Nazareth with Jesus. Just picture this in your mind, just to get the feel. But you were there that day in the synagogue. You would have known him. He's now the news, not just of the village, but of the town, of the whole region. Jesus is the news. He's a cool celebrity. Everybody, everybody has an opinion. What would yours have been? 
What do you think your opinion would have been of the guy you grew up with? His teaching seems to have the wisdom of the ages, uh, yet there are hints of a barely contained revolution. When he speaks, it shakes the existing order of things. His words are beautiful. Beautiful is the only apt description. They reveal, they disturb, they heal and shock all at the same time. The elders of the synagogue seem to be treating him like a visiting teacher, but where did he get his ideas from? Where did he get his eloquence? You know, you know he went to the same school as you. It can't be right. It cannot be right. What will the young rabbi say? He's offered the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. From the Old Testament, he reads the ancient text. The words are very familiar to you. You would have memorized them as a child. That's what all Jewish kids did. They memorized the Old Testament. And they speak of the, acting, the aching Jewish hope of a coming servant from the Lord, one who will come to God's own people and set them free. Everybody knew that God needed, that, that God needed to act at that time because the Gentile Roman filth were occupying the promised land of God. They were even invading the temple of God. It was an absolute national catastrophe. God needed to do something. Everybody was hoping that he would. The zealots were going to do it by violence. The Essenes were going to go into the wilderness. The Pharisees were leaving the temple to take the dictates of the law to the people on the streets. They were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees, by the way, because if they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and walk into walls. Don't be a Pharisee. Everybody was waiting for God to act. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. It's an inflammatory message. It can get you into trouble. In the year Jesus was born, about 100 people were crucified where he lived. In the careers of the great and the good, we can often look back to some great speech which um, defines the essence of their philosophy or their ethic, what they become known for. Think of the great speeches of history delivered by people like Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela at crucial times. So Jesus finishes reading and everybody in the synagogue is electrified. What new meaning is the visiting rabbi going to bring? What new application will Jesus, who you grew up with, what is he going to bring to us today? No new message. No new application, just a new moment. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, right now. That's what he says. How would you have felt? It's hard to take. The servant has come. The power of the kingdom has come with him. Through this person that you grew up with, he'd be specifically anointed by the Spirit. The kings of Israel have been anointed with oil to show the Spirit was on them. The Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism. He performs extraordinary acts of power thereafter, as we know, because we've read the Gospels. Something is happening for those with eyes to see that makes sense of your experience of him as you grew up with him, but it's still very hard to take. The servant of God has been anointed to fulfill specific purposes, to proclaim a message of good news um, about liberation, Liberation from what? So, you know, the servant that he's said he is, is going to talk about liberation. So what do you think he's going to liberate you from? Do you know what? I bet every single person in the synagogue knew exactly what Jesus was going for. I, I bet you that they thought to themselves, they did the math in about 3.2 seconds. He knows everything about me. He knows where all the skeletons are buried. He knows the darkness of my life. I have felt that every time I've come close to him. I am drawn to him. I am terrified of him. And I always have been. And now I know why. I bet it came like a punch in the stomach. He's going for the dark side. He knows exactly where I'm in prison. He's got the key. In fact, he's not bothering with the key. He's got a blowtorch. He's not bothering with a blowtorch. He's just going to explode the door off the prison. Two thousand years have come and gone since then, and nothing significant has changed. We haven't changed. Human nature is the same, it hasn't evolved. We continue to be a mixture of good and bad, caught in a matrix of forces that lead to varying degrees of emptiness, guilt, captivity, and blindness. And Jesus' power to do what he did on this day, has not changed either. And even this weekend, those of you who came saw Jesus do exactly the same things. Can I tell you some of the things that we, that we um, were talking about, it, mainly in personal conversation? Abortion, eating disorders, depression, physical deformity, rape, sexual abuse in childhood, these are some of the things we talked about. Guilt, unresolvable guilt, shame, 
these are the prisons. And the thing about churches, what you're entitled to when you sign up for one is the power to resolve even things like that, even the worst, the worst things. Anything less than that is inadequate. And that's why you've got a crazed English guy with a flowery shirt talking to you. You have got so much going for you in this place, and I mean that with all my heart. And based on my experience, I, don't know, I, don't, I can't remember how many churches we've planted or been involved with. But basically, I do know functional church when I meet it, and this is good. This is happy church. I urge you, with everything that is within me, to find out how to also offer people, receive for yourself, the transforming power of the Spirit, and still be a normal person. It is possible. Look at me. Normal as you get. We have to come to terms with the humility of God who comes to us in the ordinariness of this day, this nightclub, through these people. We have to turn to him and not away from him, being willing to come out of our darkness and step into his light. He brings the message of good news to the poor. And there are just so many examples of that, aren't there? You, you will know, you'll have experienced it yourself. When you become a Christian, the transformation of life that Jesus brings is amazing. And that's part of what Jesus continues to do. And we're actually quite comfortable with that in this kind of church, aren't we? We believe in salvation. We believe that Jesus does that. And we think we've benefited from that ourselves. And we have. And we want our friends to know, that's all right. Check. The evangelical church believes that. Check. Then he brings freedom to prisoners. Not so much check now. I mean, a bit. A bit of a check. But not total check. Because of what it might mean. How does he do that? How does Jesus bring freedom to prisoners? I'm going to tell you. It's great. Imagine you've drunk way too much. Imagine that you have had sex with someone. You didn't intend to, but it happened. You come home, you're just trying to get through the door so you can vomit in the restroom. And to your horror, as you finally get the key in the lock and push yourself through the door, there's Jesus standing there. And the problem is, you are going to be sick. And you are sick. You're sick on the floor, some of it goes on his sandals, on his robe. What would Jesus do? Do you remember those stupid bracelets? <laughs> what would Jesus do? Probably help you get into bed. And when you were ready the next day, he'd ask you, where does it hurt? And then he'd set you free. If you think he shouldn't, you are right. If you think he wouldn't, you don't know him. Obviously you do know him, but you don't know him well enough. We can be captive to so many things. Guilt, shame, anger, things we've done, things people have done to us which we've never been able to resolve. Happens to everybody. I'll just tell you one story then I'm going to end. Uh, I tried to help a young student once and he uh, was very cynical. He'd become a Christian when he was a teenager but by now he was giving it up. And uh, basically, he's, his father had made a point of never forgiving him for anything. He thought it would toughen him up. So if he ever screwed up in any way, his father would make a point of never letting him know that it was all right or restoring him. 
And basically, this kid um, was now, every time he, uh, a relationship broke down, any kind of relationship, he would feel the need to buy a present, and then he'd have to buy another present and another present, because basically he could never know that it was actually okay. And that was going on on the inside, on the outside, very intelligent, cynical, you know, God's never done anything for me. Why would I bother with God? And I met him a few times, I got absolutely nowhere. And... Um, the other thing was that because another thing his father had said to him is that the worst thing he could ever be was homosexual. And so he was looking at gay porn, etc. As a rebellion, I guess. And um, we, we kept meeting. I kept getting nowhere. And then I remember, you know, saying a few things about God and um, it wasn't going anywhere with him. But I remember thinking, like, it's like backwash, you know, it came back to me. And I thought, I really believe this. And I, I sat back in my chair. I can remember this really clearly. I sat back in my chair and this sort of warm glow thinking, you know, I'm right. And um, God could do something whether you let him or not. And even if this is a waste of time, at least I've tried. I sat back in the chair, and as I did that, uh, I think probably the clearest experience I've ever had of God actually communicating to me was God saying, tell him he's like a bird with broken wings. That will speak to him. And because I am a remarkable charismatic man of God, I said to God, no, you must be joking. Look how cynical he is, God. Can't you see? I'm not going to say, you're like a bird with broken wings. I'm not going to say anything like that. Let me joking. But it came from nowhere in such a weird way that I thought it might be God, but I still wasn't going to say it. Anyway, I did decide as a kind of compromise um, that I'd offered to pray for him because we hadn't got that far either. So he said, all right. So I said, would you like to stand? And I prayed for him in the way that we've been praying over the weekend. And, uh, and in, anyway, into my prayer, I injected this little thing about birds, at which point he opened his eyes, stared at me and said, why did you say that? And I said, well, I'm sorry, I should have said this to you before. But God has shown me you're like a bird with broken wings. And uh, I, I couldn't say it because it just, didn't see, it just seemed a bit sort of wet. And he said, well, the thing is, the only time I've ever felt free in my life is watching birds fly. And I've always told myself I'm a bird with broken wings. And so you can see that what God showed me spoke to him, and that created an opening for him to be healed, which he proceeded to become. That is the power of God. stand. So uh, I invite you to uh, participate in um, asking Jesus to come to you in the way that we've been doing over this weekend. This is a model of prayer and it's just a model. It's not the way to do anything. It's just a way and uh, it seems to be Quite, quite normal as they go, as opposed to, for example, everybody that wants prayer come to the front and I'll pray for you as the anointed man of God. But, and this is the opposite. This is like, let the Holy Spirit come and touch people where they are. You might want to open your hands. This is symbolic in front of you. Symbolic. It says, hello God, I'm open to you. As opposed to crossing your arms or putting your hands in your pockets or whatever. It's a symbolic thing where your body is expressing what your heart is apparently wanting to do. Close your eyes so you're not distracted by the glorious sartorial splendor of my shirt or other things in the room. Um, because you receive so much information through your eyes, just knock them out for a bit and uh, it will help you just to dial down and focus on God. And then I'm going to ask you to do the most courageous thing any human being can ever do, which is to open him or herself to the creator, especially where it hurts. We'll have a few, a few moments of silence while, when you, while you do that. If, you're, if you have become, you know, sort of horribly 
slightly frighteningly aware of certain pains, that wouldn't surprise me. Certain emptiness or barrenness or whatever, disappointment. Bring it to Jesus now. just going to tell you that some of you will definitely cry. You have to be able to cry in church. It's what churches are for, amongst other things. You've got to be able to bleed in hospital. You have to be able to cry in church. Please do not spend hours trying to stop yourself. If you're crying, it's you're crying for a reason. It's part of how you get better. So if you're going to cry, cry. You don't have to, but if you're going to, it's fine. And amazingly, that applies to men as well as to women. Some of these things that we've been carrying, we've been carrying for years. I'm afraid to say it because I, um, I don't want to expose people. But I can see that there are a number of uh, women here who've had abortions and uh, and it hasn't been uh, possible to resolve the pain of that. Now um, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And it says in the Bible, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to come to you in a new way. Nobody's suggesting you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Ask him to come in a new way. Don't be afraid. You don't need to work anything up, strain yourself. Jesus says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's enough. Now I'm going to add my prayers to your prayers and then we're going to wait upon the Holy Spirit and he's, he is definitely going to come in and heal people. It's, it might be a bit messy. Please do not be afraid. Don't worry about it. Let him do what he's doing. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here to heal and to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free and all those who are in prison. Praise you that you forgive us our sins in a moment, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that you have the power to heal the unspeakable. Come, Spirit of God, fall on this place now. Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Just let him come. His presence and his power is here. He's, healed to, he's here to heal. Let him come. Keep waiting on the Lord.
Jesus takes the years that the locusts have eaten. He gives beauty for ashes. He gives a garland of praise instead of mourning. How great is his love for those who fear him. Bless what you're doing. Bless what you're doing, Lord. Release, release, release. Release those who are in prison, Lord. Comfort those who are brokenhearted. Let your fire come, Lord. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Return to me and you will find rest for your soul. Increase your power, Lord. Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let your power come, Lord. Fill people, Lord. Fill them. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the Garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. Our hearts are open. We need your spirit, oh God.